The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that our collective energy of mindfulness will bring us together as an organism, going as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of a delusive self, liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex. No ill-being, no cause of ill-being. 
le cœur de la compréhension parfaite. Thank you. 
And before we ask the question, we uh, practice uh, breathing in and out three times uh, with the sound of the bell. You might like to ask the question in French or English. You might like to bring your own uh, translator. Uh, We know that uh, the question should uh, be uh, related to what we have learned and uh, with uh, what uh, what with our practice if you have some uh, uh, difficulties in the practice if you have not seen the way out of a difficult situation if you have something that you have not really understood in the teaching in the last uh, five days then we may like to ask uh, these questions and uh, we may also write down the question on a sheet of paper and ask someone to bring it up here. We have plenty of time. So those of us who have a question uh, are invited to come and sit around Thay. And uh, there is a a way to get in the meditation hall. There must be. And we know that uh, a good question can benefit many people. That is why we should ask uh, the question of our heart. And a good question does not have to be very long. question is a question that has to do with the practice. And this is uh, our retreat is not a course of Buddhist philosophy. Our retreat is about uh, applied Buddhism. We learn uh, to apply what we uh, what we have learned in order to transform. So let us uh, listen to uh, the bell 
and breathe three times before we ask the first question. What's the difference between feelings and mental formation? What's the difference between feelings and mental formations? Feeling is a mental formation. Feeling is one of the 51 mental formations. You have uh, give some example of some of the mental formations like mindfulness, joy, fear, anger, craving, uh, compassion. Those are mental formations, but I thought those are also feelings. So you mean there are other examples of uh, so-called mental formations that are, and those are those examples you gave, I thought those are also all feelings. So do you mean that there are other mental formations besides that, or do you mean that those examples you gave, some are feelings and some are mental formations? There are 51 categories of mental formation and feeling is just one. But because feeling is so important that's why we have to sing it out. And um, the last four, four, four exercises of mindful breathing, uh, they are uh, in the realm of uh, perception. Perception and perception is just one mental formation. You mean the last four, sorry. You mean the last four as in regarding the minds and the perceiver and the perceived the mind and the objects of the mind. You are talking about that is also a mental formation. Uh, because uh, it's about the right perception and wrong perception, and the four exercises of uh, uh, mindful breathing in the sutra is about how to how to, uh, to get the right perception about reality. So you have um, the meditation on uh, impermanence, unknown craving, on nirvana, and on letting go, and all of that are about perception. And perception is a mental formation. So feeling is a mental formation. Perce- perception is another mental formation. and. Uh, there are uh, 49 others that uh, can be classified in the, the, third, uh, the third category, category, that's mind, mind. You see that there are four foundations of mindfulness, body, uh, feeling, mind, and object of mind. So feeling is one mental formation, perception is one mental formation, and mind, has uh, the other 49 mental formations. Thai, uh, feelings, do you mean that when you 
scan your body, the feelings like come from your heart area and the so-called mind or mental formation comes from the mind as in what your thoughts, your discriminating mind and also regarding the objects of mind is how you perceive. Do you mean that as in I repeat again, that means feelings is how you feel inside this heart area and mind as in your thoughts, your discriminating mind, your mind consciousness and the objects have in mind as in you, what you perceive through the five senses. Are feelings things that you feel in your body? And um, mind are things, the mental formations, and objects of mind are things that you perceive outside of you. Just to get yeah, more clarity on what is the difference between feelings, hmm. mind, and objects of mind. Feeling is mind. Because feeling has the filler and what is felt. Every mental formation has subject and object in it. Whether that is a feeling or a perception, it always includes the perceiver and what is perceived, subject and object. All the 51 mental formations are like that, consisting of subject and object. Clear enough? I feel that the feelings are my emotions, my heart, my feelings, and my mind as in my thinking. So there is a separation inside me, that's why maybe the answer is confusing. Thinking is just one mental formation. Thinking is just one of the 51 mental formations. Because uh, thinking has also subject and object. So, so when there is thinking, there is one mental formation called, uh, called uh, thinking. Thinking is not uh, all the mind. Mind is more than thinking. They are all mental formations. Uh, some members of Gran Canaria Sangha have gone or go actually as, as volunteers to Gran Canaria Hospital to visit uh, palliative the department. I mean, the uh, people who doctors say, say that 
Maybe they're going to die in three days or maybe in three minutes. Sometimes we see that the, the pain is too much. Uh, I feel that it doesn't make sense uh, because even medicines don't relieve them. So sometimes I think that if any of the, of the patients, if they would ask me to help them to, to kill themselves, I think I will do so. Because I have the, the feeling, because as it's so, so horrible pain, I had the feeling that that would be the uh, right action. I don't care about karma. <laughs> I will carry with it. So I would like if you could tell us something about if, if one has this the feeling that something is the right action, it is the right action, even if, if it's somebody asks you to, to kill her or, her or him. In that case, I mean, in palliative, in hospital, when pain is so too much. He works with people who work with the dying, and they have very strong pain, and the unbearable in medicine can't help them. So he's asking, um, he feels comfortable to help them die. If they ask him, he, he would like to, to do that, and he wants to know what Thay would say about that. Mm, when there is pain, mm, there must be ways in order to alleviate, to, uh, to reduce pain. There must be ways in order to reduce pain. Uh, and if uh, we have not found uh, any way uh, to reduce the pain in us, we might be tempted to to kill ourselves. But uh, the question is whether we have explored all kinds of ways in order to help uh, relieve the pain. We should not be sure that we have already tried our best. So suppose the pain is uh, 100%. And if you can do something in order to reduce it to 90%, that is something already. If it is not done by medicine or other kind of means, it might be that uh, your presence, which is uh, calm, and compassionate and fresh and healing uh, is a kind of energy. Uh, you are there as a source of energy. If you are peaceful, you are calm, if you are compassionate, and then your presence uh, close to a person who is suffering uh, can have an effect already. Uh, just your presence. You, ha you have not done anything yet. 
but your presence there can already uh, uh, produce a kind of change. It's like a tree uh, standing outside. The tree does not seem to be doing anything at all. But the fact is that when we touch the tree, uh, when we sit under at the foot of the tree, we feel that uh, the energy of the tree is penetrating into us. That's a non-action, but it has uh, a power and energy. So the doctor, the nurse, uh, uh, the social worker, um, they, have, they may have used uh, the techniques, the know-how to help, but maybe they have not been able to offer the best. It's their, their compassion, uh, their peace, their calm. And when the people who suffer interact with uh, such a presence, he or she will feel uh, uh, better, if not uh, 50% and maybe um, uh, 70% or something like that. So uh, it, it's too easy to say uh, that, well, uh, there is uh, nothing you can do. Uh, the only thing you can do is to help uh, him or her to die. So you have to explore. Uh, you have to learn more. And um, there are ways in order to, uh, to, uh, to handle the pain in us. Uh, the Buddha said that uh, we have to learn how to handle the pain. Uh, we suffer more or less. Uh, it depends on how we handle the pain in us. There, there, there is uh, physical pain and there is a mental pain. And if you add mental pain to, suffer, to physical pain, it will be unbearable. But if in your mind uh, you, are, uh, you are not to, not to overload it with uh, anger and fear uh, and despair, and then you have uh, the capacity to handle the pain in you much better. Uh, uh, in Buddhism, we learn that uh, pain is uh, inevitable, but suffering is optional. Uh, that is why if uh, we know how to handle our mind, we will suffer less the pain in our body. And uh, the Buddha said that uh, suppose um, someone is uh, hit by an arrow and there is a pain. But if uh, a second arrow comes and strikes at exactly at the same spot, the pain will not only be doubled, but maybe ten times stronger. So, so, so the, the worry, the anger, or the despair of our mind is the second arrow. If, uh, if we don't let the despair, the anger, the frustration, the fear, uh, overwhelm us and then we will have maybe enough uh, capacity to, to handle the physical pain. So when you have some pain in your body, uh, your practice is to breathe in and out and to recognize it as it is and do not uh, exaggerate. If you exaggerate, 
you think that you are going to die very soon, you cannot escape, and uh, anger and uh, fear and despair come, and then the pain will be multiplied by 10 times, 100 times. So the teaching of the Buddha is uh, do not allow the second arrow to hit, hit you. Uh, with the first uh, arrow, you have to practice looking deeply to see the importance of uh, the pain and not to exaggerate. And if uh, we know how to handle the mind, and then we can reduce the pain, and we can um, transform the pain. And this is uh, a technique. And uh, uh, in the realm of, uh, in the domain of uh, medicine, I think we have to train doctors and nurses and, uh, uh, and psychotherapists and others to, to do the practice, uh, this practice recommended by the Buddha. Of course, we, have, we, we do not have the right to, um, to, uh, to remove the, the other option, uh, help someone to die. But uh, that is that uh, that may be the last the last uh, alternative. So you have to work more on that, and uh, we should have uh, we should sit together, and we should bring our experiences together and learn more. We should not be too sure. Dear Honorable Respected Teacher, Dear Sisters, Dear Brothers, Dearest Lay Friends, Dear Buddha, Dear Heart, I can feel how fast you're racing. <laughs> I'm there with you. Dear shaking nervous hands, I can feel you're shaking now that I'm there with you. Dear Thai, I love you very much. (laughs) You have uh, transformed my world and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I can see in you all the elements that are non-Tiknathan elements. 
I can see that you are your mother. I can feel that you are your father. I can understand that you are all your ancestors, that you are your teachers. I can understand that you are the sun and the moon and the earth and the food and the stars. I am beginning to understand I, that I am made up of non-TAM elements, that I am made up of my mother, my father, all my beautiful ancestors. I am made up of my teachings. I am also made up of the Buddha and all my friends and all the earth and the wind and the stars and the food and the animals and the life. They tie every morning after their beautiful chanting and their prayers. The brother or the sister they invite to honor the inferiority complex, the superiority complex, and the equality complex. All my life I have felt very, very small and I always see the teachers and the deep practitioners and the monks and the nuns as so far ahead of me and so much greater than my small self. I am trying to learn how to embrace the understanding of this deep teaching because my vocation in life, I hope, will be to learn to love myself more fully so that I can love the universe more fully. Dear Tai, please can you help me to understand how I can embrace the superiority complex teaching and why is it that I should uh, understand the equality complex teaching because I don't feel equal with you and surely I need to be understanding to feel equal before I can release Uh, we still remember the, the day when we had uh, that uh, question and answer with uh, the scientist. Uh, he said that uh, only uh, human being has the capacity to think, to create, uh, to reason, and so on. And uh, it seems that uh, many people think that uh, human beings are the best species on, on earth. And uh, they, they may look down on the other species. And they said that uh, we have to learn to look uh, differently. When you look into us, we see that uh, we are ma- made of uh, ancestors. And we have uh, not only uh, human ancestors, but we have also animal ancestors. Animals are, are, are our ancestors. And we have uh, vegetal ancestors and mineral ancestors. And all our ancestors are still in us. Uh, 
and without these ancestors, we cannot be there in order to think, to imagine, to reason, to produce a thought. So when we produce a thought, all our ancestors in us collaborate in order to produce that thought. So that is not the work of the human alone, that is the work of the animal, the vegetable, and then the mineral. So everyone is participating in producing that thought. Whether that thought is uh, a thought of hate, I thought of fear, I thought of compassion. That thought is created together by all our ancestors in us. So when you see things like that, you are free. Mm. Suppose uh, the feet, my feet, become jealous of my eyes. It's stupid. The mess in my, my feet that, well, the eyes is up there. <laughs> and the eyes can see many things. And the eyes might be proud. No, I am up here, I can see everything. Without me, you will go, uh, you will stumble, you will feel, you will fall. Mm. So that kind of thinking is not right thinking. Because uh, the feet, the foot and the eyes do not see uh, in the light of interbeing. In Buddhism, we learn that it is not the eyes that see things. And that is true. It's not the eyes that see things. The eyes is only one of the conditions for seeing. There are a lot more conditions in order for the seeing to be possible. The eyes is one of the many conditions. So if the eyes uh, realize that she is not caught by, by the complex of superiority. There are nerves, optic nerves, there are all kinds of nerves. There are cells in the body. Uh, everything in the body contributes to the seeing. And the eyes is just one of the many conditions for seeing. So if the, the foot realizes that she has no complex because she ha- contributes to the seeing, you see? And the eyes should know that if, uh, uh, if uh, there is no foot, uh, the foot, the feet is not there, uh, the eyes cannot uh, go to Bordeaux, <laughs> go to Plum Village. <laughs> And then, then, and then, then the eyes will see that uh, that the foot is equally important than the eyes, and uh, no complex whatsoever uh, can uh, can uh, prevent uh, uh, everything in the body to collaborate uh, with each other, like um, like. Uh, like uh, a um, uh, beehive, uh, beehive. We know that in our body there is uh, there are trillions of uh, cells, and they work t- together. They work together for the well-being of the body. 
and every uh, thought, every perception is a feeling is made by the whole body and not just uh, some neurons and so on. So when Thay is able to say something nice, uh, you participate in, 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 in that act. We do it together. We are together, always together. There is no separation at all. So every atom, every uh, particle, uh, every pebble uh, participates in the work of uh, the earth. The earth is a bodhisattva. And if the earth uh, is able to produce um, uh, people like uh, the Buddha and uh, uh, the saints, the bodhisattvas, well, we are part of the earth and we participate in producing Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and saints. We should not have any complex. We are together. So if, uh, if uh, someone is uh, creating suffering, destruction, we know that we are responsible. There may be things that we can do or refrain to do in order for that not to happen. <coughs> you cannot say that uh, I'm not responsible. That's he who, who, who did it. Yeah. So we are all together and that is the kind of insight, kind of view that we have to cultivate. <coughs> right view, the view of interbeing. No separation at all, no discrimination at all. And with that kind of insight of the view of interbeing, uh, uh, we are free from afflictions, including uh, complexes.
A Dharma teacher needs time to uh, to learn to be a better Dharma teacher. <laughs> Even the Buddha, in the process of teaching, he learned a lot. If you study the sutras, you will see that. Uh, he has experiences on teaching, and that is why he teaches better and better. And I try to do the same. My teaching becomes simpler and simpler every day. <laughs> Easier and easier every day. <clears throat> so when you receive a lamb transmission to be a teacher, that is just a beginning. And humility helps you to, to learn. And if you are a member of the Sangha, you should also know that you have to build your teacher. You have to help build your teacher. My disciples, my students, they help build me. I learn a lot from them. And there are times when I see that they, there are many, uh, uh, many, many things. Uh, my disciples, they do it better than myself. And that is why I can learn. So in a Sangha, you have one teacher or two teachers, and you have to help build your teacher to improve the quality of your teacher. And, your teacher, and if you are a teacher, you should allow <laughs> uh, your Sangha to, 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 to help you so that you can improve your quality of teaching. And you teach not only with what you say, but what you, how you live your life. Revered Thai and the Sangha, in the past two lectures, when you have explained that there are four meditation uh, realms, is it uh, a progressive one? Uh, because uh, I'm asking this question because I have problem in the last part where whenever I Listen, even to your discourse, the mind starts debating with uh, the different fates that I have undergone. And therefore, it will be, that itself becomes a hindrance. And is it that um, I will not care for that last part, like the various thoughts of um, of being, non-being, or inter-being, and uh, how, how do I reconcile, or how do I go with my practice? 
um, the fourth part of the um, 16 ways of reading, when he contemplates that, he gets confused because of the different faiths he's practiced. He just starts debating in his mind, so he doesn't know if he should just stop trying to meditate on those four exercises or how to resolve the, the debate that comes up when he looks at the last four exercises. Breathing, the realm of objects of mind, and that when you try to practice those, your mind um, is filled with debates and um, thinking because of other faiths that you've practiced. Yes. So you'd like Thai's insight yeah. on, on, yeah. on that? Just a little bit. That even otherwise, while practicing mindfulness of any kind, it is these questions that erupt in the mind. That even even when I'm doing the uh, the mindfulness of the body of the breathing, then also it is mainly these questions, the philosophical questions, the thoughts that occur, okay. and they clash with each other. Okay. So even when um, he's uh, contemplating his body or the feelings, his breath. Um, these philosophical questions arise and they, they clash with, with his wish to, to concentrate and be mindful. Yes. When you practice uh, mindfulness, there is an object of your mind. You, you are mindful of something. You are only mindful of one thing at a time. Uh, and if you are truly mindful of that, you have concentration. And again, concentration has a, only one object. And if you really concentrate on that, you don't allow other things to come and compare. One-pointed mind. Eka gata, only, only one, one object. And uh, although the first four exercises are on the body, but there is already uh, the energy of uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight. Uh, you got your insight uh, uh, from touching, getting in touch with your body, getting in touch with your in-breath and out-breath. And that insight uh, just came, just comes. And you don't have to look for it. You, have to, you don't have to, uh, to philosophize like um, when you breathe in and if you know that you are breathing in and you are aware of your in-breath it may come to you as a flash that you are alive you are still alive and that is not thinking 
That is not a thought. You breathe in, and because you are really in touch with your in-breath, you discover the fact that you are alive. Because uh, it's just so simple. You don't have to reason uh, like this. Uh, someone who is not alive cannot breathe in. You don't have to reason like that. Because you are mindful of your in-breath, suddenly you touch the miracle of being alive. You touch the miracle of being alive. And you can enjoy the fact that of being alive. And when you breathe out, you can celebrate uh, the fact that you are alive. And that is not thinking. That's not thinking. That is only feeling and insight. Mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And in the four exercises, there is already um, concentration and insight. Not only mindfulness. So in the, in the last four exercises, that, that are concentration. In the four ex- last exercise, the Buddha offered four concentrations. There are many concentrations, including uh, uh, the concentration on emptiness, on uh, signlessness, on uh, aimlessness. There are many kinds of concentrations. But because uh, you have to organize a sutra in such a way that people will not be overwhelmed by the teaching. That is why the Buddha uh, gave only four uh, concentrations, uh, which is very practical. Uh, uh, first, uh, you uh, practice the concentration of impermanence. And uh, the object of your mind, the object of concentration is only impermanence. Uh, everything is changing. Two uh, transform. And uh, you are you are free, and if you you are concentrated on that uh, concentration, you are free from the idea uh, of permanence. You see uh, how impermanent you are, how impermanent uh, the other person is, and that help you to see the truth more clearly. Because if uh, you feel impermanence. And then you, you know what to do and what not to do in the present moment. And um, uh, the second exercise is uh, non-craving. Mm. Uh, concentrated on the object of your craving to see the danger uh, in that object. So uh, uh, if you are practicing correctly, and then you concentrate, you concentrate only on one thing. But that does not mean that uh, you have to, uh, to practice uh, in a sitting meditation, you have to go through 16 uh, exercises. You don't need to do that. You just use one. <laughs> that is enough. You don't need uh, you don't say that the first exercise is easier, is simpler, and its effect is less than uh, the last one. It's not like that. Uh, every exercise is equally important. And uh, even the first exercise, uh, if you practice very deeply, you get the effect uh, of all the other uh, exercises. Mm. So. 
fear? Uh, it it can it can uh, it can create uh, happiness. <laughs> because uh, suppose uh, things are not permanent. Uh, your daughter cannot grow up into a beautiful lady, and that is impermanence. is very important. If things are not uh, impermanent, and then when you plant the seed of corn, the corn will never grow, and you have no corn to eat. So impermanence is very important for, for life. Thanks to impermanence, everything is possible. Uh, if uh, things are not impermanent, your ignorance will remain ignorant forever. <laughs> so because things are impermanent, everything is possible. So impermanence has, can produce a lot of uh, happiness, and uh, and then impermanence. If uh, if uh, you touch impermanence and fear arise, it means you have not touched it uh, very deeply. Uh, when you touch uh, when you touch impermanence deeply, you touch no self. Because uh, impermanence, impermanence, and no self, they are not two different things. They are the same thing. On the side of time, you, you call it impermanence. On the side of uh, space, uh, you call it no self. So touching impermanence deeply, uh, you touch also no self. And when you touch no self, no fear is possible anymore. Who is afraid? Dear Ty, dear community, my question uh, concerns my difficulty with the impermanence of consciousness. The last April, week, April of 2011 at Blue Cliff, I, I told you I was suffering because my late wife uh, was very traumatic. Her death was very traumatic to me. And <clears throat> I was suffering not knowing if my being with her was in my imagination. And you said, no, but I need to be in touch with myself as a five-year-old and know that that five-year-old is in me to know that she is still in me. And that was wonderful until I read uh, you say that consciousness is, everything is impermanent, including consciousness. And I struggled with this and um, I made my peace with it through realizing that it's not my consciousness, that consciousness is all of, is universal, but I still have a hard time reconciling my late wife's death, 
that she has no consciousness, that while she can communicate through me, I can communicate with her, but I still have a hard time that she has lost her consciousness, that she only experiences this through me. So we have learned that uh, nothing is lost. A cloud can never die. And uh, a better word uh, to use is uh, the word manifestation. Something manifests itself and uh, stop uh, that manifestation and manifest uh, otherwise. It's like a, a cloud. If uh, she sees her form of a cloud and she will take the form of, a ra- of the rain or the, the snow. So it is impossible for, for, for a cloud to die. And uh, the other person is like that. She has not died. She has not passed from uh, the realm of being into the realm of non-being. You just do not perceive uh, her continuation. Has she lost her consciousness? Mm. She has not lost anything. She has not lost anything at all. Uh, Her consciousness uh, continues always in other forms. Uh, When something does not manifest the way you used to see it, you think that it is no longer there. It's like uh, that uh, cloud. When uh, she is no longer a cloud, uh, you think that she does not exist. But she continues always. That is the law of conservation of energy and matter. It's very good uh, law. It corresponds to the Buddhist insight of no birth and no death. So there is nothing increasing and there's nothing decreasing. Increasing and decreasing that is only on the surface. And that is why uh, uh, Something is impermanent, uh, that doesn't mean that something um, undergoing birth and death. Everything is a continuum, a continuation. And that is why um, when we look uh, into the sun, you can see uh, the father. The Son is the continuation of the Father. And uh, looking deeply into the person of the Son, you may recognize the presence of the Father. You call him, you don't call him Father anymore, but he, he is the continuation of his Father. He's very much uh, this in the same, the same stream. 
And that is why um, nothing is lost, including her consciousness. Her consciousness, if not uh, manifesting in that way, will manifest in the other way. Mm. It's like um, the sun is offering a lot of light to us. Uh, and uh, the sun is growing smaller and smaller every day because the matter of the sun, uh, the mass of the sun is reduced because uh, that mass of the sun is being trans- transformed by, into, into light. And uh, one day the sun will disappear because there is no mass left. But that does not mean that the sun is lost. It does not mean that the sun uh, is no longer there. The sun will continue to be there because uh, nothing is lost. So the sunshine and the light is the continuity of the sun. And uh, it is always there in one form or another form because uh, you cannot uh, destroy energy. Energy is always there. You can transfer energy, but you cannot uh, uh, make energy disappear. The same thing is true with uh, matter. That's why let us train ourselves to look in such a way that our mind is free from the notion of uh, birth and death. Uh, When you say that uh, she has lost her consciousness, she she has not lost anything. Uh, Because we do not have enough uh, insight. That is is why we see things like that. Uh, And that is why meditation is important. We learn a new way of looking. the way of uh, interbeing. And uh, in Buddhism, we do not speak of uh, salvation, liberation in terms of uh, grace. But we speak of uh, salvation, uh, liberation in terms of uh, Understanding. Prasnya, understanding. Uh, you are saved from suffering, fear, despair, not by grace, but by understanding. And understanding is the fruit of our practice of meditation, the practice of looking deeply. And if you practice looking deeply in the right way, uh, you can remove the notion of being and non-being, remove the notion of uh, birth and death, remove the notion of increasing or decreasing, remove uh, the notion of uh, subject and object. And that can be very rewarding. And that is why the practice of uh, letting go of notions is very important, very important. And uh, the best way to to look is not with the mind of um, discrimination. The best way to look is uh, with the mind of non-discrimination, free from all these notions. It's very clear in the teaching of the Buddha. 
mind and object of mind. They are not two separate things. My question is not answered, but I will wait till the next retreat. <laughs> it has to do with is her her consciousness is, is experienced only through me. She experienced yes. Very dear Thai, dear Sangha, it is a deep privilege for me to be here with you, talking to you, listening to you. It was reading a poem by you that started my journey to you. When reading it, your words filled me with joy. A great poem. Uh, I don't know its name, but it says that birth and death are only doors we pass, sacred thresholds on our journey. And it also mentioned that uh, we meet each other in all forms of life. And the mm. reason why it filled me with joy is that um, it, f it filled as it, it was my daughter who was telling me these words. She had died three years ago, and what you said in this poem is is why she had is um, is what I had experienced through her. So um, I started this journey, as I said, um, in order to to meet you. And yesterday during your Dharma talk, uh, your words were kind of less body, breath, and mind cannot be one with the other, so they interbe. So my question to you today is, is it possible for the mind to be without the body? What happens to the mind after the body deaths? Thank you. The mind cannot be without the body. That's very clear. But uh, <clears throat> usually we think of mind only as uh, mind consciousness, mental consciousness. But mind is deeper than that. And there is also the collective mind. Because uh, what, we, what we call what we consider to be the individual mind is made of the collective mind. Uh, we are influenced by the mental, uh, uh, by, by, the, by the collective mind. Mm. 
our feeling of uh, beauty, our feeling of uh, uh, good and evil is conditioned by the thinking, the feeling of, uh, of the collective mind. Mm. So, uh, when we think of mind, we should not only think of uh, our individual mind, because the individual is made of the collective. And the collective is made of the individual. Without the collective, there is no individual. And without the individual, there is no collective. So, uh, finally, we have to remove both notions, uh, individual, and collective in order to touch the truth. Mm. The same thing is true with body and mind. Body and mind, uh, we may think that they are two separate things, but body relies on mind to manifest, and mind relies on body to manifest. Without the mind, the body is a dead body. It's, uh, It's not alive. And uh, without the body, mind is not something very, uh, uh, very alive, very uh, concrete. So it is like a left and right. Uh, if there is no left, there is no right. If there is no right, there is no left. And they inter- uh, so the same thing is true with body and mind. Uh, it's like a perception. When there is a perception, there is the subject of perception and object of perception manifesting together at the same time, like a right and left. So body and mind are like that. Uh, they manifest at the same time. And uh, you might like to ask the question as, uh, what is the ground of that uh, manifestation? Um, in Buddhism, we uh, define the human person as uh, action. Not only the human person, but every living being as action. Uh, Body and mind are also action. And the technical term is karma. Uh, When you produce a thought, that is your action. That is energy. That is energy. And that thought is a product not only of the mind. It is also a product of the body. Without the body, you can produce a thought. And that is action, and that is energy. And when you say something, what you say is already action. What you say may make you happy or unhappy, can make the other person happy or unhappy. Or when you do something with your body, that is action. And body, speech, and mind are actions. So the human being is made of action. And that is the substance of uh, a human being. Uh, when uh, Jean-Paul Sartre said that uh, l'homme est la somme de ses actes, 
man is the, the totality of his action. Uh, he's come very close to the Buddhist concept of karma because we are, own, we are our own action. So that is true with everything. Uh, uh, a galaxy, a uh, star, uh, a subatomic uh, particle, uh, they, can, they can be recognized by the action, by the energy. So, so when you produce a thought, you produce a speech, you produce an action, that is you. And uh, according to the teaching, that will never be lost. These are kind of seeds that you planted in the future, and you will continue with, uh, with these. And when you're, you continue to produce thought, speech, and action, and one day when this body disintegrates, you continue always with your action, with your karma. And from that karma, will manifest other body and mind. So this body and mind will be continued by other bodies and mind. And the ground of uh, continuation, the ground of manifestation is the action that you are producing now. It's like a lemon tree. A lemon tree is uh, producing lemon leaves, lemon blossom, and lemons. Uh, we are producing uh, thought, speech, and action. And, uh, and uh, what we produce is your, your, is your continuation. And you can never die. You, you continue always. So body and mind are just um, product. Uh, products of uh, your karma. And since your karma continues, your mind and body will continue to manifest. If not in this, in this form, and then in other forms, you continue always. And you can continue more beautifully if you know how to handle the present moment, how to produce better thoughts, uh, produce better speech and better action. And again, we have to uh, not to be caught in the notion of uh, birth and death, being and non-being. If you are caught in the notion of non-being of the body, If you are caught in the notion of the being of the mind, and then you cannot see the truth. And you ask the question as, what will be the mind? Where will be the mind once the body is no longer there? All these questions come from the same root, discrimination between body and mind, between subject and object, between matter and mind, and so on. Clear enough?
Dirtai, dear Sangha. My question is about uh, to trust and to believe. If somebody is in deep pain and during his life didn't build trust, how can he ask for help to the Sangha? with the practice. Mm, mindfulness can help uh, a lot <coughs> because uh, with mindfulness you will be able to observe and you see that what, what works or not. Uh, suppose uh, you practice uh, mindful breathing and uh, you practice mindful breathing in many ways and you try many kinds of uh, practice. And if you are mindful, you will notice that there are ways that work for you better than other ways. It's like uh, when you cook. When you cook, there are times when you succeed in cooking uh, good things. And there are those, uh, there's time when you fail. Uh, so if uh, you repeat the same experience uh, for a few times you have trust that you can cook that, that dish, you see. So, so it is uh, by observing, uh, based on our experience, that we, we get the trust, that we know that we can do it, we are confident. The practice is the same. Uh, when there is uh, restlessness or fear, and if you know how to practice mindful breathing, generating uh, the energy of mindfulness and concentration and become aware of your, um, of your re- restlessness or fear. And suddenly you feel that you are less restless. You are less fearful. So that uh, builds up your trust in the practice. Mm. And um, as far as... Uh, the belief in uh, another person uh, is the same. There are those of us uh, who do not trust, who are not easy, who do not trust easily another person. We suspect. Uh, people say that they love us, uh, they understand us, but we have not uh, really experienced that love and that uh, understanding. And for a person who do not have that kind of capacity to 
receive uh, love and understanding, we should be able to find ways to another to help. Because uh, sometimes there is a real love, there is a real understanding. But because that person does not believe in love and understanding, that's why they have never got it. They are like a hungry, hung, hungry ghost. In Buddhism, we describe the hungry ghost as someone uh, who has a big uh, belly, very hungry, but who has a very tiny throat. Uh, even there is uh, plenty of food, that person cannot absorb anything. A hungry ghost. So even if there is, uh, is uh, a lot of understanding and love uh, to offer, but that person is not capable of receiving because he does not believe, he has no capacity. And so that is why in the um, traditional Buddhist ceremony to offer food for hungry ghosts, uh, the first thing we have to, uh, to do is to pronounce a mantra in order to help enlarge the throat of hungry ghosts. Otherwise, uh, the food that we offer them, they cannot absorb. So there is a mantra to help uh, enlarge the throat of hungry ghosts. So that is very symbolic. A person who suffers, who has no capacity to, <clears throat> to receive understanding and love and help, you have to be very patient. You should have a kind of mantra that can help him or her to enlarge his throat. In Plum Bridge, from time to time, we see hungry ghosts like that, walking. And we can recognize him or her very easily. He looks very alone, cut off. We can recognize a hungry ghost so easily. And with these hungry ghosts, you have to be very patient. We have to allow him or her a lot of uh, time and space. Uh, we are not too eager to help. Because the, uh, when you are too eager to help, you may have uh, an opposite uh, effect. You may get an opposite effect. So what you do is to remain fresh, loving, compassionate, and allow him or her a lot of sense, space. And that is what you can do now. And one day, mm, his throat <laughs> will be larger, and he begin to notice uh, the energy of love and, and, and understanding uh, that are in you. Uh, sangha building is like that. If uh, in a Sangha there are members who have that capacity, who, who know how to pronounce the mantra, <laughs> then lash the throat, <laughs> and then that is a good Sangha. Uh, and you can help people, many people, by uh, trying to build up such a sangha. They say jewel for a sangha. Hmm. Hmm. The last question, written question. Dear Thai, dear sangha, um, there's two questions on strong emotions. Um, one is, um, I work as a psychotherapist in a hospital in the USA. 
I work in the area of suicide prevention in the treatment of severe mental illness. While we do teach mindfulness skills to help people, I find that severe mental illness like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, etc. also need additional treatment. There are medicines that help stabilize mood swings, for example. I'm concerned that your teaching about handling difficult emotions may be misunderstood to mean that people with more severe symptoms like bipolar disorder should not also use biological medicine to help them reduce suffering from severe mood swings. Would you be kind enough to please clarify this question? Thank you. I ask not just for myself, but for many people. And there's another one. Um, in the teaching, in the last teaching Thai gave, Thai advises that we should breathe tenderly to observe our strong emotions. From my experience, when emotions and mental formations occur during meditation, I have to breathe harder, deeper, in order to touch my feelings and go with them. Otherwise, I lose my observation. So what do you mean about being tender with our breathing? What do you mean by breathing harder? You can breathe uh, more deeply. You might use uh, you might use your lower your abdomen in order to help uh, your out breath uh, longer and longer and longer. You you might try to uh, to help. Uh, the falling of your abdomen so that you can push out more uh, air from your lungs. And that is not um, unpleasant. To tell you, that is pleasant also. Uh, you, are, you, are, you are pressing so that more air will come out of, uh, of your lungs. And when the, you release, and then the air will naturally enter. It's very pleasant. And, uh, and using your abdomen uh, in the moment of uh, rising, helping it, uh, you can bring more fresh air into and, and, and uh, uh, deeper breathing uh, can be very pleasant. And, and you don't say, Harder. It's not harder. <laughs> it's not harder. Uh, if, if needed, uh, you use a deep breathing. And I think in strong emotion, deep breathing is helpful. And it can still be tender. It's non-violent. No, only only non-violence can, can handle violence. The energy of nonviolence will 
reduce the the violent uh, emotion. As far as medicine is concerned, the problem is that many people rely only on medicines in order to survive. And when they feel uh, able to survive, they don't practice. And wait until the situation becomes serious and have recourse to medicine again. That's not good. That's why doctors, nurses, and others, psychotherapists have to help uh, when the patient is able to survive, we have to make good use of that period of time in order for him or for her to practice so that uh, she will be able to, uh, to get rid slowly of uh, the medicines. It's not that we uh, forbid uh, taking medicines. Only we encourage uh, the practice uh, in order not to be caught uh, uh, in the using of uh, medicine only uh, in uh, difficult, extremely difficult uh, situation, we should use medicine. But we, we should at the same time uh, bring the other dimension of the practice into so that we can gradually be free from, from, from medicines. So we have a, a, about a 20 minutes um, break. Have a cup of tea and then when we hear the sound of the bell, we gather around the bell tower and enjoy our session of walking meditation. Thank you.